Welcome to The Logbook. I'm your host, Lucas Weekly. This episode's supported by you, the listeners, through Patreon. Head over to thelogbookpodcast.com for more information. Many aviators dream of having their own vintage aircraft, and for Lenny Olson, that dream came true when he acquired a Waco biplane and flew it all over the country. As a kid, always wanted to fly, never could afford it. Finally got a job with a company that had a flying club in it, and it was very inexpensive. I went up for a ride and flew every day for the next 23 years. My dream as a kid was to own a a biplane. And as time went on, I met a fella that owned a biplane that I would like, and I got to be friendly with him. It's a 1941 Waco. Was built in Troy, Ohio, put on a plane and shipped down to Tampa, where it was assembled. Flew in the Tampa area teaching civilian pilot training for the military. After the war was over, two of the instructors that flew it bought it. Of course, they threw away the logbooks and made new logbooks attesting that it only had a thousand hours on it, probably had 10,000 hours on it. And they put in a, a bench seat so you can put two people up front, and they used it for uh, charter work. And they kept it till 52. And they sold it. Some guy from Jackson, Missouri bought it. Now, time went on. This fella up in Wisconsin told his neighbor that he was going to go out and find a steerman and rebuild it. And his neighbor said, well, if you're going to go through the trouble of rebuilding a plane, get a real plane, get a Waco. His neighbor was uh, Paul Pabaresny, who started the EAA. So this fella, who was a dentist, and Paul found this Waco in a barn wreck in Jackson, Mississippi. Took my a whole day to drag everything out of the barn, drag it up to Wisconsin. And uh, October 62, I have a picture of Paul Pabaresny and the owner starting up the plane for the first time. Then uh, that fellow used it a while, and Ray Fowle, a Delta Airline captain, bought it, and he eventually passed away with cancer. So my kid dream came true. I wound up buying the plane. And, uh, of course, I had to learn how to fly it. I was a pilot, but I wasn't a tail-dragger pilot. After acquiring the 1941 Blue and Yellow Waco at the beginning of 2000, Lenny immediately started using it for travel. Short trips from Florida to New York, Chicago area. We didn't count those as trips. They weren't long enough. Been in every province in Canada with this biplane and north of the Arctic Circle in Alaska. I've flown it for 2,200 hours now. During that time, there was just numerous stories. Lenny had his wife accompany him on some of the first trips that he went on. And that's where these first stories come from. She did the first trip up to New York when we first got it. And uh, she flew the plane while I took the pictures going up to Hudson. Now, I had just gotten this plane, and I was not as proficient as I would like to be. We're going along, and it's starting to get quiet. And she picked an airport to let her do the navigation because she's a flight instructor. She picks an east-west runway, narrow, and 90 degrees to the wind. So that was our first discussion. Oh, and, uh, just before we went to that landing where I really had to sit up and look out, I yanked the knob. Well, the knob was the seat adjustment, and down it went. So now my nose is sticking just above the cockpit looking out. I could really not see too close to the pedals, and the stick is up in my nose. and. <laughs> And landing with a crosswind, 
evening in a narrow runway. I got over the runway. I couldn't see the runway, but I figured if there's no runway on the right or the left, I must be over it. <laughs> we landed. It was interesting. Now, on his longer flights stretching northwest, Lenny would always have a friend with him to ride in the passenger seat and help split expenses, and apparently it was pretty easy to find people to go with him. I would, but even though Lenny's wife didn't accompany him on these trips, Lenny still kept in touch with her. We're on our way up to uh, Goose Bay, and as you go up there, I made it a habit not to have my wife expect a call at every day, every time, and because you do different things, and cell phone coverage and internet are, are sparse. So every stop, we didn't get it. But finally, I, I land, and I got internet. So I got the computer out, and I'm looking at the uh, emails, and one is from Aircraft Spruce. Thank you for your order. I said, well, I didn't order anything. I wonder what's going on. So I call up home, because the internet worked, cell phone worked. How's everything? And the wife says, everything's fine and everything. You know, my my wife is a pilot. Like she's owned her little Grumman Tiger for 37 years. So she says, no, everything's fine. So I let it go. And then it was two days later on that uh, I got the chance to get internet and cell phone service again. And I get aircraft spruce. It says, your order has been shipped. For details, click here. So I click the details. It's a, a whole set of springs and wheel and everything for a tailwheel for our cub. And I wanted to buy a new tailwheel for the cub, except it was on $1,600, and I didn't want to press her for the money until I come back from my trip. So I called her up. How's everything going? She said, oh, fine. You know, everything's nice. I said, what do you need a new tailwheel for? Who told you? I said, nobody. You know? No, somebody must have told you. Anyhow, what she was doing is getting checked out in the cub again so that when we come home, she was going to fly up and meet us as a surprise. But due to the fact that I found out she was doing that, she didn't meet me. <laughs> but we told Aircraft Spruce, and they laughed like hell because uh, usually it's the guys trying to hide parts, not the women. <laughs> Lenny would always go up north during the summer months. That's because the Wonko is an open cockpit plane. Limitations like this and many others make it very interesting to create flight plans for such a vintage aircraft. This did lead to some interesting situations, which we'll hear about later. Went up north of Fairbanks. The furthest north I could take to Waco uh, because of uh, the range. I only had two and a half hours, and airports start getting scarce as the further north you go. So the furthest north I could figure I could take the biplane was Prudhoe Bay. So we made our way up to Fairbanks, and then from Fairbanks we hopped on a plane. We went up and got gas at an airport called Bettles, which is, I don't know, maybe 240 miles south of Prudhoe Bay. And it sort of follows the, the hall road up. And we started talking with some guys, and a fellow was wearing a old straw hat and, a, and coveralls, bib coveralls, and big beard. He looked old, but he was probably 27. And he says, where are you going from here? I said, well, we're going to try and make it up to Prudhoe Bay. He says, what for? There's nothing there. I said, well, it's the furthest north we can go with this biplane. I just want to take it to its limit. He says, which way are you planning on going? I said, well, we're planning on just following the hall road up. If you ever watched television, the ice road truckers and all that stuff, going up the hall road and hitting the fog. And the Brooks Range, the mountains, have ice on them all the time. And they have what's called ice fog up there. If a little warm air hits the ice, it turns into fog and it starts from the ground up. 
He says, well, says, which way would you go? He says, well, we usually stay close to the ground, and we go around the, there's a pass way out to the, the west on that range, and then we go up that way. We don't take the hall road. And he says, well, if I ran a, says, as soon as I'd be turning around that bend down there, I'd be running out of gas right there. I says, if I go, I have to go straight up. He says, well, if you're going up that way, let me know. So I said, well, hmm. He says, why do you want to know? He says, do you, uh, are you going to come look for me if I don't come back? He says, oh, no, hell no. You want to go that way? That's fine. He says, if you don't come back and somebody comes up here looking for wackle parts, I know right where to find them. So right on that pass and over the hall road. We didn't go. We turned around and went back to Fairbanks. There's a good reason. There was no gas between there. If I got up near that, uh, that pass where the hall road goes through, and we got far from that point back, that uh, was past the point of no return. I didn't have enough gas to get. Of course, you land on the hall road, but you have to find somebody bringing you some gas. So you're always guessing your uh, point of no return, or, you know, if breeze picks up, you turn back earlier. And The most interesting part of flying all over with, with the bike plane like that is, is the flight planning. I mean, it's no big deal. It's all two and a half hour flights. But on a lot of, some of the flights, there's a point of no return. And if something happened after that point, you were really in a tight spot. I didn't plan on taking risks. Before I left, I had new fuel tanks made, and I measured from bone dry. I measured the amount of fuel that it would hold, and it only hold 48 gallons even. Two times, two different times, we landed with uh, four-tenths of a gallon. Yeah, it's not a comfortable thing. One time we left Juneau, and we were going around out by the water to get up to Anchorage, and we had to land at this, I forgot what the name of it, it was another airport in order to get fuel in order to go on to Anchorage, which is right along by some mountains with ice on them. And we got just a little past the point of no return where we had to go one way or the other. We just passed that about 15 minutes when one of the other planes that we flew with that had more fuel, he went up ahead and called them and they just went down to zero, zero, ice fog set in. So we turned around, went back, and luckily we found an airport that we passed up. I didn't figure I needed it at the time. But uh, we went and got there and gassed up, and that was one four-tenths of a gallon. The other time, we had plenty of room, plenty of time, uh, fuel, and it was a short stop. It was only like 200 miles. So we were flying along, just looking at scenery, and the breeze picked up, and it got pretty windy. I guess it was about uh, 30, 40 miles an hour, and, and that's half my ground speed, half my air speed. So that wound up another four-tenths of a gallon when I gassed up. But other than that, most of the trips were pretty even, pretty fun. The majority of stories Lenny told me about his travels were from the people he met in these small towns that were in the middle of nowhere. The Waco attracts a lot of attention to the local airports, and many interested and enthusiastic people come out to see it. On my first trip into Canada, we're with several other planes, and they go ahead because they're a lot faster than 80 miles an hour. And we were going along, and I and the fellow flying with me, he says, I don't think we're going to make it. He says, they're getting low on gas and our ground speed is slow. I said, well, we'll stop for gas. He says, I don't know if the airport's open. I said, wait, what do you mean? He says, it's 7 o'clock at night. And of course, with the days real long up there, I mean, it looked like noon. It was nice, clear, blue sky. I said, what do you mean 7 o'clock? So I checked the time, and sure enough, he was right. 
So he flew past the airport. Well, we were low enough to look in the windows to see if there was anybody around. And there was nobody in the office. So we flew over to the town and we found a gas station. The uh, Wackel was originally made to run on 77 octane so we can run it on anything. We flew over to town, we found a gas station, then we flew a couple more circles to make sure which way to walk to get some gas. And by the time we landed at the airport and pulled up, there's a whole bunch of kids, parents, a couple of grandparents, and two guys to sell us gas. And then so we gave some of the kids a rides and got our gas and tootling off. And of course, the other guys, when they parked, they sat on a the ramp, they had chairs, they pulled it out, and they had their little coolers with beer and booze and crackers and whatnot. And by the time we showed up, they were all half sloshed. And that's the way it went. As we went from one airport to airport, they'd get their cocktail hour in and would, would miss it. <laughs> we landed in Thunder Bay, Ontario, which is a busy airport. They have jets running in and out and a lot of military stuff around, and, and here I come putting in with this old biplane, and a newspaper reporter heard that we were coming in from Florida up to Thunder Bay. So she's there talking to me, and now there's four other planes. She said, well, what makes this plane special than the other ones? I said, well, the other ones, they're just normal planes. This one, it's got character, it looks better, flies better. It's slow, but it's nice, but... Uh, What's so special about this plane? I said, well, uh, it's a, this is a female reporter. I said, well, who are you talking to to get your story? Are you talking one of the other four planes, or are you talking to the one with the biplane? She's the one with biplane. I said, see, it works. So you have it to get the girls. I said, of course. <laughs> and she put that in the paper. We're up in the middle of Canada, I guess, the pause is the way I remember it, but that's probably not the proper pronunciation. But I had finished gassing my plane, and the other guys were gassing their planes. And this pretty young blonde lady, young, really, really young, must have been around 50, young for me. And she comes up and puts her arm around me. So I put my arm around her. I stay there a little while, and I says, um, what you doing? She says, I'm, going, I'm keeping you busy. I said, who, uh, who put you up to this? Some of my friends? She says, no, no, they didn't do it. I said, well, I'm kind of old and a little chubby. I says, I don't think it was your idea. I said, wasn't my idea. I says, and I don't mind it, but it wasn't your idea. It wasn't my idea. It wasn't my friend's idea. Whose idea was it? She says, my husband's. I said, that's interesting. Your husband said, come over here and keep me busy. She says, yeah. I says, and what's your husband doing? She says, climbing in your plane. And I turned around, and sure enough, he's waving at me and said, hi. What'd you do? Nothing. Kept on hugging his wife. <laughs> and figured he didn't know how to work the plane. But anyway, this one airport, we landed. It was in the middle of the town. It was nighttime. It was hard to find the airport. Even on the GPS, it said we were there, but we were right over this little airport, and you couldn't see the airport. So we made a couple of circles, found it, and came in and landed. And there was a, a phone there, and we opened up the phone on the inside. It had a motel sign and we called her up and a girl comes down and she says all right so, uh, yeah i got a room come on get in a truck pickup truck and throw everything in the back and went on down she says are you hungry I says well yeah been flying all day I said well there's only one restaurant left in town that's open now she says chinese i said that's fine she says they serve beer she says no we're dry town i said rats so we go to the chinese restaurant we get takeout and the only reason they were open is that the ball team went into extra innings, and the ball team always went 
to the Chinese restaurant when they were finished. This is Eastman, Texas. So we go to the hotel, and all of a sudden, here, knock on the door. It's the girl that owned the hotel. She says, I stole a six-pack from my husband. He's out of town. Good. So we sat. There's just the three of us. We each had two beers, and she said goodnight. Well, in the morning, she came and picked us up. She made coffee and gave us a roll, and so I offered to give her a ride in a walker. So she hops in the front. I said, I haven't gassed it yet. She says, I only have about a half hour worth of gas, so we'll stay out about 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and come back. She, okay. She says, uh, ever flown before? She says, a little. She says, all right, as soon as I get it off the ground, you can. it's your plane. She says, oh, great. So I take off, get off the ground. I says, your plane? Well, she's got it. And she turned the plane back and forth a little bit and felt it. And all of a sudden, here she is running down Main Street of Eastman, Texas, strafing Main Street. And then she pulls up and she runs all over this golf course, chasing people all over the damn golf course. I says, well, I'm going to guess this thing up. I'm going to get the heck out of here and they won't know who I am. I'm out of here. So I... We get up a few hundred feet, and I show her how to loop it, and she's whooping and hooray and makes a couple more loops. I said, we better land, otherwise we're going to loop right into the ground here. We're running out of gas. So I went back, landed. We pull up to the gas pump, and I look out, and here comes this guy tromping down the tarmac towards the plane. And you can tell he was a Marine. I mean, he got this bully walk on him. He's walking down, and this girl, her name was Ann, gets out. And all of a sudden, he sees her, and he smiles. She says, hi, Ann, how are you? She says, we just had the nicest time and everything else, yada, yada, yada. And I get a big hug. I would have taken her up again. I said, wait until I gas up, I'll take you. <laughs> so anyway, he comes up, and he says, um, you know, she was a pilot. I said, I kind of figured that out, the way she took the controls and, you know, and, and flew the plane. She says, oh, she was flying? I said, yeah, well, outside of the landing and the takeoff, she was doing everything. She says, how about the fancy loops? Oh, yeah, she was doing oh, No kidding. He says, you know, uh, she was a Navy pilot. He's a Navy pilot. Yeah. A4s, carrier qualified, <laughs> and she's retired. <laughs> wow. So that's my Eastman story. She said, yeah, I flew him. Could have told me. But little, little stories like that all over the place. Uh, so that was my, my dream of getting a biplane, still have it. And in two weeks, we're going up to uh, the National Biplane Fly-In up in Junction City, Kansas, which is not a real trip because it's only a thousand miles away. So it's, uh, all those trips took a while and it was enjoyable. So it, it's uh, a dream that did come true. Lenny Olson owns a realty agency at the Spruce Creek Aviation Community, which is where the background noise came from in this episode. And his company helps him pay for and maintain his Waco, which he still flies and travels with today. Lenny had a bunch of great pictures from his trips, and some of them apply to the stories that he shared in this episode. So be sure to check those out, along with more information about these stories and his realty company by going to the article at thelogbookpodcast.com. This episode was supported directly by your donations. If you enjoy the show, you can support its production by becoming a patron. Through Patreon, you set a donation level that is given every time a new episode is released, and you can always set a monthly limit so you don't go over your budget. 
Depending on the amount donated, you are granted access to different rewards that are as simple as hearing a sneak preview to the next episode, all the way up to exclusive content that didn't make it into the show. Any amount is helpful, and the more that's donated, the more the show can improve. Head over to our website, thelogbookpodcast.com, and click on the Patreon banner at the side of the page to start supporting. Also, don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps bring awareness to the logbook. If you have a story about anything in aviation, we would love to hear it, and it may even become an episode of the logbook. You can send us an email by using the contact page on our website. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you come back for the next entry in the logbook.